Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. The past few weeks, we've been mulling over this truth. Even though mothers seem so much better at it, God makes fathers primarily responsible for raising up their children in the way they should go. But how can we expect Christian dads to succeed in this vital calling if they're not equipped with biblical principles and strategies to formulate their plan? So that is our goal for the next two weeks. And even if you're not a dad, you probably expect to be one someday. And many of these principles have great application to everyday life. Thanks for joining us today for Season 1, Episode number 35 of Mission-Focused Men. My name is Gary Yeagle. Let's begin with a foundational truth. Kids don't have it in them to grow themselves up. That's why God gave them parents, to love them, give them structure, and guide them into mature character. Just as a puppy comes out of the womb not knowing how life works, like he's not allowed to pee on the carpet, our children have no idea how to handle life so that it works right for them. Both puppies and children need outside help to learn the self-control they need to flourish in this world. Such training begins at home. Henry Cloud and John Townsend remind us, The first and most fundamental mental picture that children have of the way the universe operates is at home. Home is where they form their concepts of reality, love, responsibility, choices, and freedom. So if you relate to your child in a way that mirrors God's laws, they will make a successful transition to the outside world. But if you protect your children from the pain of irresponsibility, you set them up for many struggles in adulthood. These words from the book Boundaries with Kids. The term boundaries can sound like psychobabble, but it simply means seeing the correct line between what is your responsibility and what is not your responsibility. Refusing to own responsibility is manifested through a victim mentality, excuse-making, and blaming someone else for one's problems. It is saying, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Or, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Assuming responsibility for what is not your responsibility is manifested by being controlling, by worrying, by rescuing others from their responsibility, by usurping another's responsibility and authority. Character training helps children take responsibility for their own feelings, attitudes, actions, choices, thoughts, desires, Values, loves, even their talents, as well as limits. To take ownership of these is to be a mature adult and the kind of person with whom everyone wants to have a relationship. Parents build this kind of responsibility in their children three ways. 
First, teaching. Everyday life affords us the opportunity to teach responsibility for attitudes and actions. When your child defiantly refuses to stop screaming in anger at you, wait until a calm time and then say, Crystal, we have a rule in our house that screaming is not okay. It is not being loving towards others. You can be angry and talk about your anger to me, but if you cross this line by screaming, the consequence will be losing playtime after school for the day. It also helps a child take responsibility for his inner heart attitudes by studying and defining Christ-like attitudes. Secondly, parents build this kind of responsibility by modeling. Taking responsibility for one's feelings attitudes, and behavior is more caught than taught. This does not mean the parents have to be perfect. Thank the Lord. What it means is that the house rules regarding character are the same for kids and parents. Now, some rules are related to adult privileges and responsibilities, but consider, for example, the rule that forbids disrespecting another family member by interrupting them when they are talking. David might say, Mom, you interrupted me. Mom could respond by saying, David, you don't understand what I needed to say had to be said because it was very, very important and I'm the parent. Or mom could say, you're right, son, I did interrupt you. You don't deserve to be treated disrespectfully by me. I'm sorry about that. Through these words, she owns her wrong treatment of David and shows what to do about it. Apologize. The third way parents need to build responsibility into their children is by giving painful consequences for bad behavior and rewarding responsibility with greater privilege. A Christian has an enormous advantage in parenting, at least theoretically, because we know that the wage of sin is death. Sin always leads eventually to pain. That's our guiding principle. Our home is the greenhouse for a child's character training. So he must actually feel pain for wrong attitudes and behavior. Consequences are the only way a child can internalize godly behavior. One couple shares their experiences trying to teach their sons to save up their money, lecturing them often about this principle. They write, one day the boys used all their spending money on a toy they wanted. A couple of days later, a video game they had wanted for a long time went on a 50% off sale. Their savings were completely gone. So they tried to hit up mom and dad, us, for a loan. It was a sincere temptation to me, the dad, because it was an exceptionally good price for the game. But we said no. The boys asked for extra jobs to earn the money for the purchase, and we, again, empathizing with their pain, said no. Several hours later, one of the boys said, you know, I'm going to wait a long, long, long time next time before I spend all my money. And they did. Good parenting is hard work. Never forget that God does not need you to be perfect parents to work in your child's life. Yet, I suspect that if you are listening to this podcast, being a mediocre dad is not good enough for you to offer Jesus, who has entrusted your kids to you. So next time, we'll look in detail at the character training that needs to be in the foundation of your plan 
including the order of what to teach at what ages. Here's a sneak preview. Number one, attentiveness. Stop and listen carefully to us when we give instructions. Number two, obedience. It begins the first year by learning what they are not to touch. Three, contentment. Teaching our children that God has already given them everything they need to be happy. Therefore, whining is not permitted. Number four, wisdom 101. The law of sowing and reaping. That is, behavior has consequences. Number five, responsibility. Recognizing and doing what God and others are expecting of me. Number six, respect for others. Learning that life is not all about me. We'll examine eight more parts to this plan and look at these first six in more detail next time. So what are the biggest obstacles we need to overcome in order to provide this kind of training for our kids? The first obstacle is parental irresponsibility. Scripture says the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child's job is to test your boundaries. That is your resolve so she can learn about reality. Your child has inherited a sinful nature which makes him hate rules and limits. The parent's job is to withstand the test, including anger, pouting, trauma, etc. You are teaching him the fear of the Lord, which means that humans don't break God's moral laws so much as God's laws break us. Expecting a child to train himself is laziness. Secondly, believing that loving your child means accepting his wrong behavior instead of correcting it. It is accepting the culture's view that a child's greatest need is to feel accepted. But real love is manifested by firm discipline. In Hebrews 12, we read, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not his sons. The third obstacle to good training is emotional neediness. Here is a Christian psychologist's explanation of this barrier to loving parenting. A story about Samantha's raising of a little monster. <laughs> Why can't I spend the night with Madeline? Whined 13-year-old Beverly to her mother, Samantha. Tentatively, Samantha said, Honey, remember that you've already been out two nights this week, and it's a school night. I'm sure you can see Madeline another time. You just don't want me to have friends. I never get to do anything I want. Never, never. With this pronouncement, Beverly stomped out of the kitchen and up to her room. Samantha then began the ancient dance she and her daughter had danced for many years. Samantha wanted and needed Beverly to be happy and close. Their relationship was a central source of support for her. It was too painful to endure her daughter's distance. Standing outside the closed door to her bedroom, Samantha said, 
Maybe I've been a little harsh. You had a tough week. I guess one more night won't hurt. The door burst open and Beverly embraced Samantha and exclaimed, Mom, you're the best. The fourth obstacle to good parenting is similar. It is over-identifying with the child. Those who have a spiritual gift mix that includes showing mercy are especially susceptible to this obstacle. Here's one of the best paragraphs from the book Boundaries with Kids. Parents are commonly unable to delay their child's gratification because they over-identify with the child's feelings. They need to empathize with their children's pain, fear, and loneliness. In this way, kids become filled up inside. Their feelings are validated and understood, and they learn how to handle and use their emotions. However, what might be discomfort for the toddler may be seen as trauma by the mother. What may be anxiety for the teen is experienced as panic by the father. The fifth obstacle to overcome good parenting is the practice of ignoring and zapping. This approach to parenting is quite common. A dad on the playground says to his son, stop playing on the monkey bars. But his son knows that this command means nothing. His father will not act until he has told the boy four or five times to stay off the monkey bars. So the son continues to ignore his father's command. The father, who's busy talking, yells at him again. But the son knows that his dad is not steamed up enough yet to act. Finally, the father reaches his limit and explodes. You've got me really angry with you now. Get into that car. We're going home. The dad trained his son not to obey until he started to get angry. He also made the issue his anger instead of the son's disobedience. Kids live up to whatever is demanded of them. The final obstacle to good parenting, as you might expect, is getting worn down. Kids work us and work us. Part of the key to successful parenting is enduring your child's hatred of your restrictions, your boundaries for them. Remember, their job is to test our boundaries, and they are usually very good at their job. One wise parent said, The trick of parenting is to hold on to your restriction one more time than your children hold on to their demand. Disciplining a child is tough. The only thing tougher is living with a child who is not disciplined. For the final few minutes of the podcast, I want to look at the very countercultural perspective of Scripture concerning paddling. Paddling your child is not inherently abusive. It is prescribed by God. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs thirteen twenty four as we've seen several times, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Here are some necessary caveats, though, that I believe we must have in place in order to use a switch or rod or paddle to spank a child to prevent that process from ever being abusive. Number one, the purpose of spanking is to inflict physical pain to associate with wrong behavior. It must never cause injury. 
The goal is to sting, not bruise or harm. Number two, smacking fingers when an infant disregards our no and paddling in childhood should be replaced by other painful consequences before children become teens. Number three, the purpose of spanking must never be to vent parental anger. Number four, to prevent spanking that does vent parental anger that also prevents injury, a strict limit of how many times the paddle lands must be followed, like two or three. Number five, spanking until a child seems outwardly repentant is abusive. There are always painful consequences for sin, but God does not spank me continually until I repent. Number six, children should know ahead of time that certain behavior will earn a spanking. Often it is appropriate to give one warning and only one to ensure that the child has understood the instruction and that continual disobedience will bring consequences. Number seven, spanking, like all discipline, must be done privately, never publicly, which would severely injure a child's self-esteem. Firm discipline teaches children to master themselves, and such self-control will actually increase their self-esteem for their whole life. Number eight, in my view, parents must never delegate the right to exercise corporal punishment to a babysitter, child care worker, other relative, or school system. Number nine, in my view, paddling should be a tool along with timeouts and other negative consequences for wrong behavior, but saved for more severe disobedience. Number 10, spanking should be preceded by looking a child in the eye and asking questions to engage his conscience, like, what did you do? Or, was that right? 11. The parent should say to the child, I want you to know that God spanks me when I mess up because he loves me. I know it doesn't feel like it, but I have to punish you because I love you. Number 12. After the spanking, always invite a child into your arms to be hugged. Always assure children that you still love them. Never let them think that their relationship with you has been broken by their sin. Number 13, sometimes it is appropriate while hugging them to pray and thank God that because Christ died for all of us, daddy, mommy, and the kids, we are fully forgiven for our sins. But remember that God's forgiveness doesn't mean that he cancels sin's painful consequences. Well, if spanking has so many caveats, it must be asked, why not just avoid it? My answer is that I don't believe the mention of the rod in Scripture is accidental. I believe there is something God knows about using a rod or a paddle in training that our culture has rejected. Why else would God say something that is so severe? Whoever spares the rod hates his son. To summarize this episode, parental training is teaching your child to take responsibility for his or her actions and attitudes. It is accomplished by teaching, modeling, and imposing pain for unacceptable behavior, which enables the child to internalize character. The obstacles to biblical parenting are massive. Number one, parental irresponsibility, really, abandoning a child to his own self-centered devices. 
Number two, adopting the false premise that loving a child means accepting instead of correcting wrong behavior. Number three, leaning on a child for emotional strength. Four, over-identifying with the child's pain. Five, allowing children to ignore your commands until your anger builds up enough to blow up at them. And six, getting worn down by strong-willed children who relentlessly want their own way. For further prayerful thought, number one, in your opinion, which two obstacles to biblical parenting are the toughest to overcome? Number two, what caveats about paddling a child are the most significant to prevent parents from abandoning this biblical method? Next week, we complete our five-week series on fatherhood with the content for a training plan to share with your wife for your kids. If you have no children or have already raised them, why not think about recommending this five-part Father's Day series to the young dads in your church when it finishes up next week? The podcast dates are June 14, 21, 28, and July 5 and 12. Episode numbers 32 through 36. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.